Good morning. I bring you greetings from the other side of Parma, not too far away from here. Um, we, our church meets on <clears throat> Snow Road, right uh, by York. If you guys are familiar with that area at all, it's an odd, square-looking building that uh, was a gift to us that we are very grateful for, and we've been meeting there now for seven years, I believe, um, and we were planted uh, as a church in 2008, so we've been around for now for, for a bit. Um, we still feel very new. Uh, things still feel like we're settling in, but praise God uh, for his mercy, for his grace. I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Um, it's, a, it's a joy to be here. It genuinely is. I hope, I hope when you guys have guest preachers and you hear them say it's a joy to be here, that you don't think it's a throwaway line, because it's not. Because every time someone who's used to one church gets even for a Sunday to gather with another group of believers, but hear the same gospel, sing the same songs, worship the same Jesus, it's just a reminder that we're not siloed off in our little buildings all over, far away from each other, but we're actually on mission, the same gospel, in the same city. We're working together. So it is genuinely a joy to be here. If you have your Bibles, would you open them up to Matthew chapter 7? And if you heard the kids' time sermon, uh, keep that in mind, because that's a great illustration for basically everything I'm going to be talking about. So I'm just going to be saying, do you remember? Do you remember? Um, so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 7. Think back to your first day of a new job that you had, or a new position in your company, or, or if, you're, if you remember your school days in college, or for those of you who will be in college, you remember something called syllabus shock? Right? It's the same thing that happens at a new job when you come in and all the expectations are laid out for you by your boss, by your supervisor. And you're going to have to do this, and then you're going to have to take care of this, and then this is the program you use to fix that, and this is how this works. And that first day, it just seems overwhelming. How am I going to... Professor, are you sure this is humanly possible to get done in a semester? It looks like there's 12 books on here. And what do are, what are the professors, the employers usually say? Something to the effect of, you know, it's... It's not that bad. It really isn't. It just, it seems bad up front, but it's not that bad. Well, our passage today is found in maybe the most demanding sermon ever preached. Our passage today is found in a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, Jesus addresses things like anger, lust, loving your enemies, anxiety. And as he's teaching, he sets a standard for his disciples. He says, your righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and Pharisees were known as the holy people of their day. So for him to say this, that's a high bar. Those are some high expectations. Jesus, what you're, what you're asking of us is, is too difficult. Are you sure this is humanly possible? Pray? 
for my enemies? Are you sure this is humanly possible? And notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, oh, this isn't so bad. You, you guys will get used to it. The standard for sanctification, for holiness, it's not that high. You guys are just nervous because this is the first time you're hearing it. He doesn't say that. Jesus knows what he's calling his disciples to. He knows how difficult sanctification and holiness can be in a broken world full of sinners like us. And so what does Jesus say? Well, Matthew chapter 7, let's begin reading in verse 7. This is Jesus' response to his disciples who he knows are wondering, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do what he wants us to do? And Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Notice his answer, brothers and sisters. He doesn't say, you're right. It's too hard, let's lower the standard. What he says is, you're right. It's hard and you're going to need my help. So come and ask and seek and knock. And that's the invitation to prayer. That's why, Jesus, that's why this passage is here in this sermon. Because Jesus knows what it's like for us to hear the demands of the kingdom, to hear the demands of holiness. So that's how he responds. Now unfortunately, if you're like me, and I heard this idea, Ehor, when life gets hard, when you can't handle it, when fighting sin is too hard, when it seems like it's too much, come to me in prayer. You know, I'm a little ashamed to tell you, but a lot of times that invitation doesn't really stir my heart. I know it should as a Christian, but when I hear it, it kind of sounds hollow. And I think if, if you've experienced some of that, you know why. It's because prayer isn't an easy, natural thing. There's obstacles for us when it comes to prayer. And you know what? Jesus knows that. And in this invitation, he actually deals with two important obstacles that often face Christians when they think about prayer, when they think about turning to God for help. And those two obstacles are the obstacles of access and answers. The obstacles of access and answers. That's what we'll spend the rest of our time, is looking at these words of Jesus and seeing how he talks about access and answers. So let's begin first. The obstacle of access. So you could think about this obstacle, this problem, as the question you might ask God, do you hear me? And the emphasis is on the word me. Do you hear me? 
Right? We, we as Christians believe that God is all-powerful, all-knowing. He's present everywhere. So obviously He hears the audible words. But what we're getting at with the problem with the obstacle of access is, does God hear me? Knowing who I am, knowing the place in life where I'm at, knowing my heart, knowing my sin, knowing my hopes, knowing my dreams, does He hear me? Would He listen to someone like me? Let's begin in verse 7. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So he gives an invitation to his disciples. The, uh, everyone in verse 8, for, he's, for everyone who asks, is not everyone without qualification. In the Sermon on the Mount, in that context, everyone is everyone who belongs to Jesus, everyone who is poor in spirit, everyone who can call God his Father. Remember, Jesus teaches them to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, right? That's the everyone here. It's everyone now who belongs to Christ, who is part of his kingdom. He says, to all of you, I'm giving an invitation. And then he repeats it three times in three different ways. He says, ask, seek, knock. He's looking at his disciples. It's an invitation and a command at the same time. He says, ask, seek, knock. Now the fact that he gives the same idea three times underlines the, the importance of persistence. That's what he's teaching them. Be persistent when you pray. Ask, seek, knock. You're going to have persistent need in life. You're going to struggle every day to live holy. Ask, seek, knock. You're not bugging me. By asking, seeking, knocking. In fact, you're just responding to my invitation. Kevin DeYoung gives a, a great illustration of, of uh, this, uh, these three stairs that Jesus tells his disciples to climb. And he said, it's what little kids experience on a Sunday morning when after the service their parents are talking and they want to go home. Right? It's the ask, seek, knock. First, the little kid goes, Dad, can, can we go home? And then he looks around, and his dad's over there talking with someone. So now he can't only ask, he has to go seek. So he comes up, finds his dad. Dad, can we go home? But dad's engaged in a conversation. So now he's tugging on the pant like, Dad, can we go home, right? They ask, to seek, and knock. That kid is persistent. He is hungry. He wants lunch. That's the picture, brothers and sisters. Ask, seek, knock. And verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. <clears throat> now look at that promise. I'm going to read it again. And here this is a promise from Jesus. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. If you know your scriptures, if you were listening to the kids' time, if you know your theology, if you know the problems with some theology in the church in the United States, when you read that, you might feel uncomfortable. You might feel uncomfortable with the idea that God is a genie 
And as long as you rub the lamp the right way, you're going to get your wishes granted. You might feel uncomfortable that we as humans can have a certain kind of authority over our God with prayer. And brothers and sisters, it is good if you feel uncomfortable with that. That is known as the health, wealth, or prosperity gospel. And it is not what the Bible teaches. And it is not what Jesus is teaching. And in fact, Jesus is going to clarify what he's teaching. But I do want us not to project that idea onto Jesus' words. Right? Jesus is saying something different here. But it still should feel uncomfortable because he doesn't make a qualification to his disciples. He could have, but he doesn't. He just says, for everyone who asks, receives. And I think one of the reasons he did this, why he didn't put any qualifications, was because he was talking to a group of people who were so used to qualifications. They were used to having to go through rituals and sacrifices. And how can God possibly hear me? How can I dare go and knock on God's door? I messed up the Sabbath last Saturday. I walked further than I was supposed to. There is no way God's going to listen to me. I touched a dead animal on Monday. There's no way God's going to listen to me. I didn't do the correct ceremonial washings. There's no way God's going to listen to me. Jesus making this unqualified statement that whenever someone who belongs to God turns to Him, God is there inviting them to persist in prayer would have been odd for people who are used to jumping through hoops before they can ever come and knock on God's doors. But I think many of us probably struggle with the same thing on a certain level, even 20 centuries removed. When we think what it takes for me to turn to God for help. And you think of a Saturday afternoon. You had a fight with your husband or your wife. And you said things that you regret. And you heard things that hurt you. And you feel awful about it. And you guys haven't reconciled. And you're thinking about church tomorrow. And you think, how, how big of hypocrites can we be showing up with smiles on our faces when we're not even talking yet? I can't even go pray to God right now and ask Him for help until I fix everything, until I purify myself. I can't ask Him to help, for help with my marriage until I actually fix my marriage. Or maybe last night you were scrolling on your phone and one tap led to another. And you saw something that provoked your heart to lust. And you fell asleep feeling shameful. You woke up this morning and you imagined being in this congregation singing. 
I can't go. God doesn't want to hear from me. God knows my heart. He knows my mind. I can't go to him. They're going to be taking the Lord's Supper. No, I need to I need to work this off. I need to clean myself up. Brothers and sisters, you see what's happening? On a certain level, we're beginning to believe that access to God is qualified. That it is us who need to clean ourselves up instead of going to Jesus to clean us up. We believe on a certain level that we need to get things right, we need to clean ourselves up, and then only when we're presentable can we go to Jesus and get His help. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is you come to Jesus and He cleans you up. It's like a sick person who knows they're sick, but they're thinking, man, I don't, I don't want to go to a doctor until I get better. That doesn't make sense. But we all do this, don't we? Especially the dentists, right? I'm going to brush and I'm going to floss and I'm going to get that weird water picks thing at Costco and when I show up, my teeth are going to be flawless. But the gospel is we go as we are and Jesus cleans us up. Now don't get me wrong, part of that impulse, part of the guilt that we feel, that's the work of the Spirit in your life. But there's good guilt and bad guilt. Good guilt draws, drives us to Jesus. Bad guilt keeps us away from Jesus. Good guilt tells us, get up, go to church, talk to God, get His help, take the Lord's Supper, be with His people. Bad guilt tells us, no, you need to fix everything before you ever come to Christ. You see all the qualifications we could build up before we go to prayer. We can put these obstacles in our way to running to God. Sometimes I think <clears throat> when we're asking and seeking and knocking, we get this picture of God begrudgingly opening that door. God rolling his eyes. Her again? Him again? Didn't his pastor tell him how to fix this problem? Didn't she read that book that explained this issue? No, brothers and sisters. Persistent prayer. We're invited to it. He's not going to roll his eyes. He's not going to open that door begrudgingly. This is an invitation from the Lord Jesus. Ask, seek, knock. That's the obstacle of access. Second, let's look at the obstacle of answers. Obstacle of answers. So the first question, if we're thinking about access, is does God hear me, me the sinner? And Jesus says yes, because that's what the gospel is. And if the second uh, obstacle is the obstacle of answers, this one is, does God hear me? Does God hear me? Because, brothers and sisters, if we were all honest... We might be able to give testimonies saying, you know, I have been asking for months. I've been knocking for years. My knuckles hurt. And still nothing. I'm still in a rough spot. My job is still hard. 
My children still don't know the Lord. It's still hard. And I've been knocking and knocking and knocking. What is Jesus saying here? Let's look at verse 9 to 11. Jesus continues and says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give, give good things to those who ask him? And what Jesus is underlining that, in general, common grace, parents have a good disposition towards their children. Right? They have, in, in general, parents have a good disposition towards their children. Even, Jesus says, even being evil. Right? Even with the corruption inside of us. We still have a good disposition. I can't imagine saying to my daughter Ellie, who's now four, to my son Matthew, who's two, I can't imagine saying to them, no, when they're asking for something that's obviously in my power to give them. Dad, can, can we have breakfast? No. I, I can't imagine that. And I know that I'm a sinful person. I know that I'm selfish. And I still would give them the food. And so Jesus is drawing on that illustration. And he wants you to compare that impulse that parents have. Fallen, sinful, selfish parents. To a holy, perfect God. He's saying, if you see that happening on this earthly level, what do you think is going on with God who is perfect and his children asking for something? Do you think he would really respond with a rock instead of a munchkin? That's what he's asking. And the answer, the obvious general answer that anyone, Christian, non-Christian, would say is no, we understand how parents usually act with their kids. And so Jesus is drawing on that picture. And he's getting them to think about, what if you had a father who wasn't selfish, who wasn't fallen, who wasn't sinful? How much more goodness would you expect from him? For some of us, that might be somewhat difficult to imagine. Maybe you haven't experienced a good father. Maybe you haven't experienced someone who was faithful and kind and wise and kept his promises. But use your sanctified imagination. Because that is who is listening to you. A father who is strong, gentle, faithful, wise, kind, always keeps his promises, always is for you, and will never let you down. That is who is listening to you. Not a corrupt, selfish human like me. That is who is listening to you. And the problem, the obstacle of access and answers is found in the fact that he is your father. And you are his child. And that's how you approach him. So if I can't imagine my little girl coming up to me and telling her, no, you can't have breakfast. Jesus says, that's how, what, with what kind of faith and expectation I want you to come in prayer. He will never withhold what is good for you. And he doesn't do that because he's a good father and we're his children. Now, it's with that truth in mind that we should think about the concept of unanswered prayer. If God is our Father, 
then unanswered prayer for a Christian is not a tyrant denying you what is good. It is a father withholding from you what is harmful. Brothers and sisters, if it is true that God is our father because of Jesus Christ, unanswered prayer is not a mean deity saying no to something that would be good for you. It's a father withholding something that would be harmful. But see, it's hard for us even to imagine that because it's hard for us to imagine that we don't really know what we need in our lives. We always think we have everything figured out. So if we're praying for it, obviously God, I need this. And since I obviously need it, and you're obviously not giving it to me, obviously you're withholding good from me. See, we can't imagine that we don't know all the details of this universe, and we don't know how what we're asking for will actually turn out in our lives. But God has a, a better, a perfect perspective on life, on our lives. My son Matthew um, is allergic to <clears throat> a red dye that's found in uh, a lot of foods, uh, especially like, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> especially like Jello or a different kind of red candy, ice cream, all the good stuff. And we found out through a process of elimination that every time he had this red dye, he would, uh, in a few hours, start writhing in pain and then just start throwing up. And a little one, two-year-old, when he's throwing up, he has no idea what's going on. It is the shock. He's just, not only is he in physical pain, but he is scared. He doesn't not know what's happening to his body. So we figured out that it's this red dye that's causing it. So now we just avoid it. And when we make jello, uh, we make red jello for Ellie because she likes red, and we make green or blue jello for Matthew so he can have jello. But think about what that looks like to a two-year-old. How come I'm not allowed to eat anything red? My sister's eating red. That strawberry ice cream looking good. Why am I not allowed to eat anything red? Dad, can I have what Ellie is having? No, Matthew, you can't. Why not? Now, mind you, his vocabulary isn't that good yet, but pretend. Why not? She's having it. Why won't you give me what you give my sister? Why won't you give me what you give my neighbor? Why won't you give me what you gave my coworker? Matthew, you can't, buddy. I can't give you the red jello. Dad, why are you keeping something delicious from me, something good from me? Look at how she's enjoying it. Why would you keep that from me? can't give it to you, buddy. Now, on a human level, what kind of father would I be if I said, for the sake of you bugging me, I'm just going to give you the red jello. That'd be awful. To see my son a few hours later writhing in pain, throwing up confused, I would say no. And that no would be coming from a heart of love and commitment to my little son's good. Brothers and sisters, that's how God says no to us. In eternity, 
when we see the full picture, when we see the reality that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, when we see from God's perspective our lives, we are going to worship him for every single time he said no to us. That will be a cause for actual worship. See, just like my son can't put together why red jello makes him feel awful. He can't tie those two events together. We can't tie those events together in our lives. We have no idea why not getting that job was actually better for us. Because guess what? Getting that job would have led to A, B, and C, and your life would have been awful. Moving to that house would have led to A, B, and C, and led to much heartache for your entire family. Getting that thing, marrying that person, would have led to A, B, and C. And God says, I'm going to say no as a good father. I'm going to withhold from you. Not because I don't want to give you bread, but because what you're actually asking for is a stone. Not because I don't want to give you fish, but because what you're actually grasping for is a snake. And you see, if we see that prayer as us talking to our Father, there actually isn't a problem with unanswered prayer. It's not a problem. Because when Jesus says in this passage, when he invites us to come to him for help, the no might be more helpful to our lives than his yes at that point. And brothers and sisters, that changes everything. And I'm sure if you thought about it, you can testify to this reality. You remember praying for things? That as things have turned out, you're like, God, thank you so much for not letting that happen. Couldn't some of us give that kind of testimony? God, thank you so much. I was so sure that that would have been good for me. And yet you loved me enough to say no. That's how good of a father he is. That should give us confidence, brothers and sisters, that we can't mess up in prayer. Because think about it. If in prayer our will was always done, we'd be very, we should be very nervous about praying. Since we don't know what the future brings. Since we don't know how everything fits together. And if we could get God to do whatever we wanted, we should zip the lip. Because we're going to get ourselves in a lot of trouble. But that's not what prayer is. Prayer is an invitation from Jesus. He's saying, come. Ask. Seek. Knock. I know you need help. And as you're coming to me, my commitment to you, my promise to you is always to work for your good. Always to work for your good. Even if you don't understand how I'm working. So brothers and sisters, if you're like me and that invitation and prayer seems hollow, think about Jesus' words and how they remove these obstacles. Does God hear me, a sinner, a failure, someone struggling, someone who should have it all together, someone who should have it for, should be further down the line. Yes, God hears you because of Jesus Christ. And is God really going to respond positively to me in prayer? Yes. That's his promise. It might not look like what you want, but he does. Let's stand and pray.
John Newton wrote, Come, my soul, thy case prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself has bid thee pray, therefore will not say he nay. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power such, none can ever ask too much. Our Father, we, we are grateful for this invitation to come to you. We are grateful for the gift of prayer in our lives. And we are grateful for the ability to communicate with our Creator and our Redeemer. Forgive us for neglecting your invitation. Forgive us for so often turning you down. And Father, I ask that you would so work through these few simple verses in our hearts that access would never be an obstacle and that our fear of you not answering would never be an obstacle to prayer again. We ask this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.